listening to the Go and Tell Gals podcast, and I'm your host, Jess Conklin. In most of our episodes, we'll have a guest, a woman who is running on mission right where she's at. We pray this podcast leaves you encouraged and spurred on to go and tell the good news. Hey friends, we have such a gift. I'm really the recipient of the gift today. We have the dearest and the wisest Hannah Brencher in the podcast studio with us today. Hey, thank you for traveling all the way here. Thank you for having me. I'm so pumped to be in studio with you. It's such a gift. It's so (laughs) fun. We are having the most fun. So I want to dive right in. Awesome. And we'll just see where we go. Okay. We'll just see where this train flows to. (laughs) So we have been reading, all the gals on the Go and Tell Gals podcast have been reading Come Matter Here, which now came out three years ago? One year ago. You're joking. No, it was a year ago last May. I'll have to talk more about that. (laughs) That cannot be real. Yeah, it was last year, I think. I guess maybe I just feel like I got to read it so long ago because of the forward. Yeah, like way in advance. Yeah, (gasps) it came out last May. It just had its first birthday like two weeks ago. How do you feel about it a year out? I love it. I love it. I I mean, I'm sure that like... 60 years down the road, I'll be like, oh, this one was my favorite to write. But for right now, like, yeah, it felt like such a story that God gave me mm-hmm. that anytime somebody is like, come out of here speaking to me so much, I'm like, yeah, because it spoke to me so much as I was writing it. It yeah. felt like God just downloaded it into me. And so I love it. I love hearing mm-hmm. everybody's stories because it's just so different from the first book that I wrote. So... Okay, you want to know why I think I'm putting together that, that I don't think... That was three think, years ago. Well, I know that was three years ago, but why I didn't think, why I thought this was so long ago is because Lane is not in here. Lane is in that one, but only briefly, like one chapter. As your husband? No, 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 okay. no. As like a guy I went on dates with. And I wanted to be really careful not to like superscript him into the story, you know? like You if say I, his name, Lane? I do say his name, Lane, yeah. I feel like I totally missed that. <laughs> There's a chapter on him. Oh my gosh. I totally missed but it. But by the time it was completely like done, done, we were married at that point. So yeah. it's like, okay, I feel like I can write about him. I was a little nervous though. That's, that's the thing. I mean, this is the whole thing. Yeah. That's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Like, Writing permanent pieces of yes. work yeah. with people that you're, are you going to be permanent? And it turns out, thank God. I know. Thank he God. Was. I probably wouldn't have written about <laughs> him. If we were still dating, I would have been like... Hey, a book is just too yeah, too personal. Yeah. Okay, there's a million things I want to say about Come Matter Here. We also have really great questions from podcast listeners. But I want to tell you just rereading it. So I read it when I wrote the foreword, which was such a gift to write. I mean, it was a gift to write, but it was a gift to read it then. So spoiler alert, Hannah and I just went to lunch, and they took everything in me to not say this and I'm assuming you have not already listened to the podcast where I talk about this because I've talked about your book already on the podcast once and I literally cried but Anna who works with Go and Tell Gals was there about two months ago we were on a plane and I looked over at Anna I was reading Come Matter Here and I looked over at Anna and grabbed her leg so hard and I was sobbing and I 
could not get over what a good book it was. And I, I, I don't, do you know when you like make someone be your captive audience? But I was like, and I need to redo this right now. <laughs> I love that. Okay. And then I just want to tell you, so it was, a, it's just crazy how books ministered you in different mm-hmm. seasons. Cause I loved it. When, I mean, I loved it when I wrote the Ford. I thought like, man, she's such a good storyteller. This is so poignant. So important for women. But for whatever reason, it yeah. like did me in, in the best ways in this season. And we share an editor. Yes. And so when I was just visiting with my editor about two weeks ago, I just had to sit with her and say like, I need to tell you, Stephanie, that's a really meaningful book. Oh, <laughs> and God what? has really used it in crazy ways in my yeah. life. I'm really thankful you wrote this book. Thank you. I'm very thankful that I wrote it. I think it was really intentional for me to fill the book with action steps I had to take for myself. And I mean, I look at that book and I'm thankful because honestly, that book means that I'm alive. Um, Because there were times within that story that I didn't know what would be the outcome of it. Mm. Or definitely didn't think that I could have a beautiful life the way that God has helped me build this life. But I think what's so cool is to get the messages and the emails that I get from people that say like, because of this book, I went back into a church after 10 years or because of this book, I I did make the move across the country and I want to leave and go back home, but I'm not going to. And I know what those things feel like. And so I'm like, man, if we could equip people to do more of that, like more of the staying when it gets hard, like bring it on. Mm, So good. Okay, here's what I, I wanted to capture. So I, I finished it again a few days ago and I thought, okay, if I could put into words what I what I perceive this to mean for me and what I would want to tell you, which is like, man, what a gift. You don't always get to sit with an author and say like, hey, this is what this did for me. But I wanted to share and just yeah. hear your thoughts on it. And tell me if I'm okay, basically, is what okay. I'm asking. <laughs> like, am I an okay human? Am I going to make it? <laughs> is that Nick and I, Nick, my husband and I talk a lot about different personality types. And so Nick is a pioneer and he always wants to conquer something. He's he's excited about the new things. So my favorite story to illustrate that, I always tell people, is that moments before they rolled me into a C-section to have our first baby, Nick Connolly leaned over and said to me, like, we should move to New York. And I was like... Shut the front door. I'm I'm numb on a table. (laughs) I'm like, we're about to have a baby. And he was like, I know, I just think after we have the baby, let's move to New York. And I was like, we're very different people. That's all I could think right then at that moment. We're just, we're very different people. So I want to use the same coffee mug every day for the rest of my life. I want to wear the same eight outfits. Yep. I like like going on vacation, but I want to go to the same place on vacation every single year for the rest of my life. I want to settle. I want to do the deep settle. And I think in this season in particular for me, What Nick and I have learned to talk about and and what he challenges me towards in the best way is developing instead of settling. Hmm. So instead of like doing the deep settle and by the deep settle, I mean like hit this place in your mid thirties where you always go to the same places and see the same people and you spend your Saturdays at Lowe's. He's like, we can stay here and we have no plans to leave Charleston. And he's like, but instead of you settling, I want you to develop see what God might develop as you stay. Yeah. And this book felt like an anthem and a call towards developing. Wow. Thank you. And it has been just a really sweet, long poem of like, what if you didn't settle, but what if you didn't run? Hmm. 
What have you developed? Yeah, totally. You're totally okay. Okay, Um, thanks. (laughs) Somebody write that down. I completely agree with you. And I think what's really been, and I'm sure you felt this with your books too, is if you write a book and then you're like, oh, we're still living in this. Like, I'm still preaching this to myself. Yeah. And that's been come matter here that I'm totally a settler as well. I would love to settle. Like, and so that's why this book felt the story in this book felt so out of character I am not the person that would pick up their life and move across the country like I needed a pep talk to get in the car and go to Charleston today and be brave and get a hotel room and just develop rather than say it'd be easier to stay home you know I totally agree with your husband but I also know how hard that is to push yourself outside of that box and I guess when I moved to Atlanta I didn't have a choice I didn't have friends I didn't have community Mm -hmm. I wanted to fall in love but that would require me to date I felt like it was a really pivotal moment for me especially because when I moved to Atlanta my faith was forced to become real Mm -hmm. so before then becoming a Christian at 22 I kind of learned that you could talk a certain way worship a certain way pray a certain way and no one would wonder if you were drowning inside Mm -hmm. and I came to Atlanta and all of a sudden it was kind of like I saw God like on the roadside and it was kind of this question of like, okay, like real or not real. Like, do I actually believe that this is everything? Because Mm -hmm. if it's everything, then something has to change. Mm -hmm. And if it's everything, then it's like, I'm meant to be here and I need to stay until I see the resolve of that. And that was a really hard thing for me, but I would go through it a thousand times more just to come out of that with real and movable faith. I love that. That's so good. So this is the question everybody wants to know a year out. Yeah. And for you, probably two years out from actually writing it, Mm -hmm. many years out from actually living it. What would you shift? What would you change? Would you change anything? That book, I would change nothing. Like nothing. And that's because my first book that I wrote, I like have spoken openly just about how I look at it and I think like, who wrote this book. Oh my Mm. gosh, she had so much to say. What were you thinking, you know? Mm. And I still to this day, you see people with that first book and it meets them right when they need it. So I've become like kinder with myself. But I feel like, especially the process of writing that book, it was very much like, we'd get up at five in the morning, I would do my time with the Lord and then I would be like, okay, I can't write this book and so you have to write it through Mm. me. And every day he showed up. And so the sweet thing of that was that when I left that process, I was like, well, I can't discount these words or not say that they're good because I can't take credit for these words. Mm -hmm. And so I probably would have, I don't know, if I had to live the story over again, I probably would have been less of a brat in the sense of, I really wish I hadn't walked into so many social settings, like talking about where I'd come from and being like, well, it's so much better over there, but I'm here. When I'm like, you were a grown adult, you made a choice to move. And so don't discount Mm. like what's happening in the here and now, even if it's uncomfortable. I feel like you need to say that again for the people in the back. I mean, I really (laughs) won't make you, but that's a word for somebody. Well, there's a line in there about how it's funny how we begin to romanticize the things we willingly left when the present moment gets tough. And that's like every relationship, every city we've left of like, oh, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. And like, God is not a God of, it wasn't that bad. Like he's a God of better. And so I knew he was calling me to move to Atlanta. And I talk about that in the book, but I want to be, I wanted to be really careful with that. 
because I've also had a lot of people that I've come across that say like, God told me to do this and God told me to do that. And it's not that he didn't tell you that, but I'm like, do you, are you in the word of God to know his voice? And also if God didn't move me across the country, he still would have been the same God. He still would have had just as good of a story. And so I'm really careful with the language in that book. Cause I don't want people to think it was like, God told me I'm going like, he brought me here because he knew like, we got to work some things out in this girl. Like if she ever wants to fall in love, like if she ever wants to stay, these are qualities that I kind of need her to myself in order to strip some things off. Hmm. As you're just saying that out loud, I will say, so the flip side of that is interesting. And I wonder if we can just meet some other listeners who are like, man, I'll struggle with that. Hmm. I will say, I sometimes have a relentless need to say that this is great. What, what we're at right now is great. Yeah. My people have a hard time with that sometimes. I mean, like my physical kids and my husband and my friends, because I'm like, this is great. <laughs> right. Everybody right now, this is great. You can see your face right Anna's now. Anna's shaking her head. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's hard for me if other people in my space don't feel like this is great right here. Yeah. But I do not romanticize the past, but I do romanticize the future. Wow. Okay. Nothing makes me happier yeah. than setting goals. Yeah. And I always think it's going to be great a month from now. A week from now, there's a part of my brain re- that really believes I'm never going to stub my toe again. <laughs> I'm just not going to. Okay. You call <laughs> me when it happens. <laughs> After I leave. Actually, so this month we're reading Come Better Here. Next month we're reading It's Not Supposed to Be This Way, which are mm-hmm. such interesting parallel books to be reading yeah. at the same time with Lisa Turkhurst. And I did Lisa's interview last week. We just had to do it a whole month early. And if you know anything about that book, those of you who are listening to the podcast are going to be reading it. Some of you probably already have read it. Many of you probably have already read it. And it's about intense pain in her life. And my first question for her was like, so do you never want to go through any more pain? Like, I just like, couldn't stop thinking about it. And I was like, I just want you to know that I finished that book and took a deep breath and thought, Lisa Turkers better not ever get another stomachache for the rest of her life. Like, so she's true. had so enough. True. She gets yeah. no more. Yeah. God has, you're, we're done with her now. Um, <laughs> but all that to say, I think both are maybe not all that healthy. Yeah. You know? Well, and that draws us back to the present moment, right? Right. Like, like I guess we past. always just have to be in the present and I think, let the present well, I think that's an individual matter. thing. I think that yeah. some people are so gung-ho goal setters. I, I think I deal with a lot of fear with setting goals of like, okay, but like, what if like God does change and like, doesn't want good for me anymore. And that's like something I have to just let die, you know? Yeah. But, um, for me, and I don't think I live in this space anymore, but definitely at the time of like living that story, did I live like, everything in the rearview mirror was like a poem you know Mm -hmm. and I think that's why it's so hard for me to look at the first book because I lived like it was a poem and then Mm -hmm. life gets real and you realize life isn't a poem you know like (laughs) that guy wasn't that great and like your family was really jacked up and it was reality and God wanted me to walk with reality and I think to still find him in reality, that was, girl, you had lived with me through that time. You'd be like, you need to just walk on out. Like, you need to yeah. wake up. You know what is a poem? What's a poem? Us. Ephesians 2. We are his workmanship, you know? Mm-hmm. Everybody loves that phrase. We are his poema. 
his actual like creative, beautiful masterpiece. So that, I mean, yeah, that's the thing. Like the past, not a poem future, probably going to be a crap show. (laughs) (laughs) Not really. I can't even say that. I can't even say that genuinely. No, because you genuinely believe it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. You do. Yeah, I do really. A day where we don't stub our toes. (laughs) And Lisa Turkos has no more things. The rest of our lives. There's no more time. I need that mindset. You (laughs) need that mindset. I really do. Like you don't. You know, if we're talking Enneagram, it's my wing seven that I like choose. I I have none of the adventure. I'm not spontaneous. I just don't like pain. It's the only part where my wing seven comes out. Okay, okay. We were talking earlier about my kids. You asked me to describe all my kids. My kids are super into the Enneagram. They listen to the songs. Some of them have paid to take the test. They love the Enneagram. Uh They like to talk about it. But my youngest is six. He is obviously not taking the test. He can barely read. And one day we were describing all the different numbers to our older kids. And he was in the back of the car. And we got to sevens. And we were just describing them. And from the back of the car, my six-year-old, who we also believed to be an Enneagram 7, said, that's me. I hate pain. <laughs> and he does. He hates pain. Yeah, yeah. We're like, yeah, you know yourself. That's some... The enthusiasm. So same. Me too. I'm not... I'm not... I have no sense of adventure. I hate to travel. I just really don't like pain. And that's where the 7 comes in. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. But yeah, the past might not be a poem. The future, good luck. Yeah. It's going to be great. Just kidding. But you, you're a, Your poem. you're a poem. Yeah. You responding to the pain, you responding to the greatness. That's a good word. Maybe yeah. you should write a book about come matter here, like really just engaging in your present, except for you did. And it's very good. <laughs> it's like me. I think it's I did. really beautiful. <laughs> so I want to read, I've read this on one podcast episode already. I want to read it again because I can't get enough of it. It's the quote from Come Out of Here that does me in. I can't read the whole thing. It's too okay. long. I'm so it, curious. It's the letter from fear. Oh, yes. I can't. Ugh. Which, and also highlights the story more because I'm deathly afraid of flying. And we were on a plane when I started reading it and just looked at Anna and lost my mind. This is beautiful. Thank you. This is my favorite writing anyone's ever done. Wow. That's I, the highest compliment. I love it. I can't get over it. Oh. Hannah writes, Hi, my name is Fear, F-E-A-R, but you are going to call me a lot of other things as you start to get closer to me. I'm terribly unoriginal. I'm like every has-been out there, but you give me way more credit than I deserve. You should keep doing that. I like it when you make me bigger than I actually am. I'm going to make you feel alone, and I like it when you believe you're the only one who's ever felt this way. Pause there. What is it like to write that as an Enneagram 4? Oh, woof. I think that me being a 4 on the Enneagram and thinking something is unique to me then causes me to hold on to it longer than necessary. Right. To right? Want to tuck so, it in your pocket. Yeah. And I think that that was something I really had to say like, oh, no, 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 no. This might lead to great writing, mm. but you can't stay living this way. Like, you can't just keep your struggles and keep your stories of fear because they sound really good. Like we got to move on from this. Okay. Let's pull that thread. I love talking to you. Yeah. (laughs) You're so wise. What happens to a very individualized fear when you decide I'm not going to hold on to this and make it just mine anymore. I'm going to fight it and give it away. What happens? 
I think that in everything that I've decided to share or come clean about, whether that is something that I, I mean, I'll give you a real life example. I got photos taken of me for the first time in I saw, five years. I loved it. I was I'll so get emotional happy. saying it because mm-hmm. the last time that I had photos taken of me were right before I moved to Atlanta. And somewhere within this journey of growth, something got planted inside of me of, I don't want to be in photos. I don't like to be in photos. I don't like my body. I don't like who I am. And to have that photo shoot meant that like, I was gonna have to face it, you know? And so I put it off for five years. You're supposed to get like new headshots done like every six months. And I was like, another six months, another six months Mm. until my friend came to me and was like, nope, I'm coming over on your 31st birthday. We are doing the headshots, it is happening. And I had no choice. I was like, okay, we're doing this thing, you know? And it's crazy how long that fear kind of just like saying anthems into mm. me. And I never thought to fight back. I never thought to find a better anthem. I just accepted it. But because I didn't talk about it, it's like no one really knew. Everybody thought I was really confident. Only my husband and a few close friends would be able to say like, you don't like yourself, Mm. you know? And so for me, the big step was A, allowing the photos to be taken Mm -hmm. and B, sharing those, being like whatever the cost, whatever the consequence, you know? And it's so interesting that that happened on my 31st birthday and it was the first birthday that I walked into not feeling like I had so much I needed to improve upon to get to this point, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's where I say like, I didn't want to do it, but I also knew like, I can't live this crippled existence anymore. And that's been a lot of my life in the last year, which is odd when it's like this book comes out and you're like, oh, I'm still living this message of, Mm. I had to have in the last six months, I think like a lot of internal digging to like, look at the promises of Jesus and be like, okay, you promised me that I can live light and free. Like you promised that. And so I am not going to let go until that promise comes to be. And like, Jesus has just been so sweet in realizing like you have to show up every single day for this. Like this is not, you have to rely on this every single day. You can't just tell me what's on your heart and then run off into the world and think you're gonna be okay. Like every day I want you to come and battle with me through this. Yeah. And it's been the sweetest, sweetest work, but it means facing the fear and then not being complacent and not letting it run in the background, kind of like elevator music where you don't even realize it's seeped into everything. Man. I don't even know if that answered the question. That it was, was the like, best answer I've ever heard. my heart, have it. <laughs> what do you think? I'm gonna say dumb words right now. <laughs> You're a writer. <laughs> You're an author. So we think about this a lot. And I, I don't think I've ever asked someone, I'm, I don't think I've ever asked someone this question in the flesh. And I don't think, I know that I've never asked someone this question on the podcast, but it's the question I am continually answering and asking all day long. Yeah. Maybe yeah. I've asked Anna. <laughs> what gets people to the point where they read your book and they just start to obey? Not obey you, but they stop obeying what trapped them and brought them into this. Yeah. Because this is the question I, I mean, you wrote it for them, you know, I know, I know this is too much of a like love offering for it to have been like, I just had to write these words. I had to get this story out. You wrote it for them, for them to experience abundance and freedom and hope and healing and like the power of presence. So number one, my part A question is, do you feel this way? Do you ever like sit at home and think like, is this helping? 
Or are y'all just going to keep reading? You always are going to question, you know? Like, now I'm crying. <laughs> no, I don't. I'm back to right like, now. does our work matter? Is it well, that's, I think that's, that is the number, like, if there is a lie that Satan can speak into a writer's heart, it's that the words don't matter, that it doesn't make a difference. But probably every week I have to ask Lane that question, like, does it matter? Does any of this matter? You know? But I mean, I know the space that I was in when that story happened. Yeah. And um, I know what it's like to, like, believe in Jesus and yet not grab hold of his promises, you know? And um, and what breaks my heart is that there's so many people within the church that say that they're alive and they, they walk around dead. Yeah. And I guess coming into this, like coming into the game at 22, I was like, if this doesn't change everything because I've seen everything else. Yeah. Like, then I'm not doing it. Like, and that was the spot that I was at with God was like, God, you're putting me on stages and now I'm holding a Bible. Like I'm used to secular universities and so you need to make this so real because i will not give people something Mm -hmm. that like i can't back a hundred percent you know gosh i wish that wasn't my mentality sometimes because i could live a lot safer but it matters if it gets one person to come out of the dark you know like for them to realize like i'm meant to be here it matters that i'm here and i don't need to speak on a stage i don't need to write fifty thousand books I don't need any of that because it's so small. The existence is so small when we think about eternity, you know? Mm-hmm. But like, if I can show up for my neighbor, if I can show up for the guy across the street that I have a guy that lives across the street who's my neighbor, but he doesn't actually live there. So we haven't figured out the whole mystery thing Love yet. It. But but I think about, I always think about this book and I think about somebody who was reading it recently and she sent me a message on Instagram and she said, I started praying that God would just use me in my everyday life the way that you prayed that honestly. And she's like, and I'm very introverted. I really stick to myself. And God told me one day to make a pie for my neighbor. Come on. And so she goes, she makes the pie. She's like, I don't want to deliver this pie. This is weird. And she shows up at her neighbor's front door And her neighbor just fell into her arms weeping. And turns out it was the anniversary of her son's passing. Three years earlier, he had taken his life. Mm. And she didn't know that. But, like, it was one of those things where it's like, well, what if we just listened, you know? Yeah. What if we just decided, okay, like, simple obedience, like, it does change everything. But it's not going to look how you think it's going to look. We think obedience, and that means move across the country. We think obedience is, like, be a big name person but it's like simple obedience starts with like sending the email or like not being rude to the person at the restaurant and like you know like I think God wants to work way more in the trenches with us we'd rather stick on the surface level but I mean I'm not anywhere near like perfect there's so much obedience I still have to apply but I found that it's not I think in the last year as my life has developed discipline after writing come matter here I thought discipline was something to be afraid of, but like discipline is freedom. Like Mm. ultimately it is freedom and we don't need to be afraid of obeying because it always leads us onto better turf. That's good. That's a quote. Spoiler alert. I feel like I should go back and not even spoiler alert, but just put a salve over this and say, I do think our work matters. I just think, you know, it's too hard to not ask that question, but I want to, I want to follow up with these two smaller questions. So you write the book and I love what you just said about the pie because that's it. If somebody if somebody sent me that text and said, 
I made a pie for my neighbor, I'd be like, and scene. We did it. Yep. That's it. Yes. That's it. That's it. But I love to ask authors, tell me both of these things. Tell me the big dreamiest thing. And and maybe you, I don't know. I don't know if you think like this. But there's a part of me that when I'm writing it, I ha- there has to be a really big dreamy thing. Like I spoke with Audrey Roloff a few mm-hmm. weeks or months ago who wrote, you know, Love Letter Life. And I said, like, part of me needs to hear you say that you want people to stop getting divorced. Like across the board. Yeah. She was like, I do. Definitely. And I was like, great. Because like, it's just, it's too hard. This works too hard. Yeah. If you don't have a big thumping wild dream in your heart. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So I'd love to hear like, okay, what's the wildest ever... dream for our generation? And then is there like a, hey, my best case, like small obedience. They finish the last page. They put the book down and they blank. That's good. That's... I'll tell you mine. Yeah. If that helps. Yes, that'd I'll give be you a great. to think. Like mine for you or the girl for the job is I want to abolish feelings of inadequacy. Like that's it. I'm here for it. And I don't, I, I want our, I want the next generation of women to have a new issue. They're going to have issues. Yeah. I just don't want it to be this one anymore. I'm done with it. I love that. For wild and free, like I remember a small one I had is that I wanted women to quit texting their friends after they left a conversation and apologizing for what they just said. I did that last night. <laughs> Man, well, I'm, I think I'm it's literally a sh- It's a shift in our relationships, number one. We're, and, and people still do it to me all the time. And I have to say like, you just need to know, like, I don't need you to apologize for what you just said. I love you. I bless you. I see you. I'm not measuring you. Yeah. And I don't think Jesus is either. So, like, I trust your heart. We're good. Yeah. But I think it's a cultural shift, right? It's not just a, like, I need to do this better. But it's, like, a cultural shift that we need to, like, you know, want good and freedom and hope for each other that we can give each other a little bit of space yeah. over, like, I didn't mean to say it that way. You know what I'm saying? Totally. Like, your people totally. know. Anyways. Yeah. Your that's people a small know. one. A new one for you or the girl for the job that's little is I just want to change the language. So there's certain phrases that I'm like, I, I would just like to replace that phrase for women. You know? Yeah. I'm a mess. Or I don't know how this is going to work out. Or I'm just a really fearful person. Or like all, I want, let's just replace those phrases. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm ready. Okay. I think for this book specifically, I think my heart in it was, I want people to live more present lives and like actually live that. Not I'm present because then I can put it on Instagram, but like, what if you just put the phone away? Like, what if, I mean, I have a limit on my Instagram for every single day and it's been the most freeing thing I've ever thought to do. I don't know why I didn't think of it sooner, but it's helped me to realize it's not there. That's not, that's going to, put my emotions in all sorts of directions. That's where I get a lot of my feelings of inadequacy. And I would rather people get in the word of God and realize you can have a relationship with him than to go on Instagram and think it can inform your value and your worth. It doesn't. And like, there's just beauty in like the phones being shut off and spending time with your husband or spending time with your friends and saying, this is enough, I'm not missing anything. Yeah. And so that's what I wanted people to realize from Come Matter here is that you get to show up at any time and it matters, but you have to really be here. Like you can't just be here halfway. Mm-hmm. People will know, people will see it. People will realize there's something that is standing in the way of like true intimacy and relationship building. Mm. I guess a smaller one would be, I wish people would know that there's no shame in going where there's help. And so it's like, if you need to go talk to a therapist, please go, don't be afraid. Maybe be a little bit afraid, but do it afraid anyway, you know? Mm. I think that that was the biggest lesson for me in, well, there were lots of lessons in Come Matter Here, but 
I wish that if I had the chance, I could look any person in the eyes and be like, hey, like, if you have to go where there's help, if you have to go to a hospital room, if you need to take medication, you are not less in the eyes of God. He doesn't look at you any differently because I so desperately needed people to say that to me at this time in my life. And if we can't go where there's help, like we're going to lose people in the balance. And that should really shake us up and wake us up. And that's actually a big thing that I thought was little, but it's really big. So, Mm. (laughs) so good. I love that.